Welcome to Our Story, Your Story, the video podcast where we share our personal experiences and invite you to share yours. We are Toby Eunice and Shelley Carney, and together we'll take you on a journey through our lives and the lives of our family, friends, and guests. We believe that everyone has a story to tell, and we can all learn from each other's experiences. So whether you're looking for inspiration, entertainment, or simply a good story, you've come to the right place. Hello and welcome to Our Story, Your Story. I'm Shelley Carney. And I'm Toby Eunice. Thanks for joining us today. And today we're going to get into, once again, A Gypsy's Kiss, A Treasure Hunt Adventure. We are getting into Chapter 28, Black Jack. Uh, just as a reminder of where we were. We uh, followed along with Miguel and Mariah to La Trange in Algiers, and it was a little bit scary there, don't you think? I wasn't scared. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> there was a menacing man named, <laughs> named Jean-Luc, and uh, Miguel found out that Mariah works for Jean-Luc, and he had to pay to spend the evening with her. So. And they work their way upstairs to her room. You shouldn't need any more explanation than that. They're starting to have a conversation when there's a knock on the door. Mariah gets up from where she is sitting, walks to the door, opening at a crack, looks cautiously out, then opens it wide enough to let in an old man. She checks the hallway in both directions before closing the door and turning back to the room. He hugs her giving her a brush of a kiss on each cheek, glances at me and starts a short conversation in French that I do not understand. I can tell some of it is about me because they are both gesturing and looking in my direction. He is disheveled, wearing worn, sweat-stained and dirty work clothes. His old clunky high-top shoes have little life left in them. His long curly hair and beard are white and unkempt, he brings a set of unpleasant smells into the room with him. For the second time tonight, the hair on the back of my neck stands on end. Suddenly, their conversation becomes more animated and louder, with much moving of hands. Just as suddenly, their voices lower to almost a whisper right after the old man raises his index finger to his lips. Shh. They speak in quiet tones for a little longer, and it strikes me that whatever case Mariah is trying to make with him, she is succeeding. At one point, she stares at me for a few seconds and back to the old man. All she says is, Oui, je suis certain. Yes, I am certain. Very good. <laughs> Mariah moves over to the bed, sits beside me, and takes both of my hands in hers. The old man remains standing in the same spot with a look of worry on his face, anxiously scratching and pulling at his bushy eyebrow. Miguel, she quietly tells me, this is my grandfather. I look back at him and raise my hand in greeting, nodding my head. His name is Jacques de Noir. When he was young, my grandfather ran with a gang of very bad men. They rode through Louisiana, Texas, and New Mexico. They robbed trains, banks, and people with money. Some they would keep for themselves, some for their families, and some for the people in their own towns who were in need. Eventually, 
They were all caught after a shootout with the Texas Rangers. Two of the gang members were killed. Two were hung. The others went to jail for a long time, including my grandfather. One of the men who was hung was the gang's boss. His name was Pierre Cotillard. I'm that Cotillard? Uh-huh. Cotillard. Cotillard. The night before he was to die, as his last wish, he asked the guards if he could see my grandfather. Rather than allowing my grandfather to enter Cotillard's jail cell, they moved them to two separate cells with bars between them. Cotillard spent an hour with my grandfather. He was very humble. He cried, prayed to God for the forgiveness of his sins, and begged my grandfather to forgive him for all the trouble he had brought to his life. It was a very stirring scene, according to my grandfather, but he knew Cotillard well enough to realize that it was an act on behalf of the guards. With their hour up, Cotillard reached through the bars to hug my grandfather and beg him one last time for forgiveness. Both of them were emotional. My grandfather assured his friend that he forgave him. The guards returned them both to their own cells. As my grandfather was staring out his cell window at the gallows, where his friend would hang the following morning, he put his hands in the pockets of his prison jacket and realized there was something at the bottom of one of them. He took it out to discover a piece of paper rolled into a scroll. My grandfather unrolled the paper, read it, and realized that it told him how to find Cotillard's hidden treasure, the spoils of his criminal ways. But it was written in a way only Cotillard could make sense of. Around New Orleans, the story of Cotillard's hidden treasure is considered gossip, or a conte fantastique. My grandfather insists it is a real, true treasure, and if the words can be properly interpreted, the treasure can be found. Grandpère knows Cotillard could have hidden something away of great value. Visualizing Mariah's story and becoming immersed in the conspiracy, I consider my response. That was a long time ago, right? Do you think the treasure could still be hidden out there? She looks at her grandfather, and so do I. He nods emphatically. What are we waiting for? Let's go get it, I exclaim. It is not so easy, she shakes her head sadly. Okay, I think to myself, what's not so easy about going to find a treasure to which you have directions? With a look of sincerity, Mariah adds, there's more. Jean-Luc owns everything, the bar, the liquor, the women, Grandpère, and me. Jean-Luc believes that Grandpère knows the location of the treasure. Although Grandpère denies knowing the correct location, Jean-Luc will not let us go until he is told where the treasure is hidden. Now his patience is wearing thin. Jean-Luc is prepared to do anything to get Grandpère to tell him where to find the treasure, and he will do it very soon. How do you know all this is true? I ask. Mariah looks at her grandfather and stretches out her hand. He takes two steps toward her, reaches into his pocket, and withdraws a small folded plastic bag. He hands it to her, and as she unfolds it, I can see it is an aged and worn piece of paper, handwritten in that old-fashioned pen-and-ink style. Once unfolded, Mariah holds it up so I can see it clearly. 
I stare solemnly at what Mariah is holding in front of me. My brow furrows as a rush of possibilities explode in my head. Treasure. After we recover it, we are free. Jacques can go back home and Mariah and I can ride the BSA off into the sunset. That stream of wonder is suddenly interrupted as the door bursts open. It is Jean-Luc. He looks quickly and angrily around the room at Mariah, Jacques, and then me, instantly pulling something out of his pocket. He flicks open and brandishes a switchblade knife. From where I am sitting, it looks very long, very shiny, and very sharp. Again, the knight pivots. Merde! Jean-Luc exclaims, and then continues on in several loud, angry French Cajun phrases, directing them first at Jacques and then Mariah. Next, he turns on me, pointing with his knife. Jaw clenched, face blood red, pulsing veins in his neck and forehead, and bloodshot eyes bulging, he spits out, Little piggy, I am going to stick you. Before he can take a step, Jacques jumps in front of him. He is of equal size, but older and unarmed. Jean-Luc, after struggling with Jacques for a moment, yells in anger and thrusts the knife into Jacques' side. Jacques screams in pain, covers the wound with both hands, and falls to his knees. Meanwhile, Mariah grabs my hand, pulls me up, and runs the two of us toward the window. I'm on autopilot, trusting her to know what she's doing. We go through the open window together and fall to the shingled roof. Then we slide down and over the edge into the waiting Mississippi below. Big splash. Big splash. Pretty exciting. Woo. So, Jean-Luc came after you with a knife and called you a little piggy, huh? <laughs> oh, it's going to stick me in, you little piggy. I'm going to stick you. <laughs> uh, it just struck me how fortunate it was that uh, Mariah was there. Mm-hmm. She had a the the sense of evil, uh, the existence within a a world of evil that I didn't have, you know. Uh, and her response was very automatic. But both of them, both. Uh, uh, Jacques and Mariah, their response to the situation was very automatic. I would have had to think about it, right? And probably got myself stuck like a little piggy in the process. Her grabbing my hand and heading for the window, going out the window, knowing she knowing exactly what was going to happen. Me just not, you know, getting to process all of this in your brain, not realizing, oh, Hell, we're going into the Mississippi River, you know. So there was, uh, there was. Uh, it was very fortunate that she was on her toes enough to be able to do something about all this. So I was very grateful afterwards for that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so some of the themes and and emotions in this chapter include betrayal and loyalty. Uh, Betrayal is kind of prominent in this whole section where you're in La Trange, um, especially in the revelation of Jacques' criminal past. Mm-hmm. Oh, my grandfather was a criminal, by the way. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, he and not just a criminal. He was in jail for a long time. You know, a road rider criminal traveling three states. Yeah. I mean, we drove across New Mexico, Texas, and Louisiana, yeah. and it took us a good day and a half. And could you imagine being, you know, writing that in order to commit crimes that resulted in 
money or whatever the, you know, whatever they, uh, their, their source of income was, and then writing back to Louisiana. Yeah. And so it must have been quite, you know, an eye-opening evening for you to go from, okay, I just, you know, this girl seems great. And then all of a sudden uh, she's not what I thought she was. And then I'm going to try to help her out and then find out her grandfather's also a bad guy. It's like, wait a minute. Yeah. I'm surrounded well, by bad guys. I'm, and I'm in a bad place. Yeah. Right. Surrounded by bad guys and in a bad place. But you had to accept uh, one of the things that I had to accept. I'm trying to talk more in the context of me, as mm. opposed to this third person, I noticed in our last week's show, I was doing a lot of third person, you know, like it wasn't me. Yeah. Uh, but you had to respect her response uh, because I didn't have enough evil in my life. I had anger. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there was a lot of that, but I didn't grow up around evil. Um, she did. So she knew exactly what to do. Yeah. And I was very grateful that she did, you know. <laughs> Thankfully, I was a, not a bad swimmer. I wasn't the, I wasn't a world class swimmer, but I could swim yeah. like most kids that age. So, yeah. um, then we got family and sacrifice because, of course, you're meeting the family and they're sacrificing for each other. You know, keeping each other company in this bad situation. Um, but they both want to get out, but they want to get out together mm -hmm. and um, not leave one behind. But then things happened and she had to leave her grandfather behind mm -hmm. at that point uh, so that she didn't get harmed mm -hmm. and that you didn't get harmed as well. Maybe she didn't want to drag you into the middle of her family problems, I guess. Yeah. You have to imagine. Uh, and I have, after we wrote the book, I spent a little bit of time thinking about what were the various options there, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in that situation. Uh, well, that was one of them. Another option is would have found have been some way to surrender what was going on, but he started with Jean Luc started with I'm going to stick you, you little pig, right? You you're going like no, this guy's serious. Mm -hmm. Like there's no negotiating. Yeah. Well, wait, wait, but what if I what? Yeah. What did you dance? have to offer? <laughs> <laughs> have you ever seen me tap dance? <laughs> nothing to so offer. So I I had nothing to offer. She could if she had wanted to, but I think she realized he already had the money. It, the, the, that she realized, like, there's nothing, when this guy gets like this, best thing to do is run in the opposite direction. Yeah. So. Yeah. And then, so, uh, sacrifice, where Jacques uh, stepped in between the two of you. And I, I don't you. think, well, I don't think necessarily he stuck, but, you know, he was in between the me. I think it was more he was between his granddaughter and Jean-Luc. I just happened to be the accoutrement that was hanging, <laughs> hanging on to her for her dear life. Yeah. So I don't know if that ran through his mind. Right. And, and as usual, I never spoke with him again, never met with him again, never heard from him again. So mm -hmm. I, I never did, you know, the, the bad part about never having been back is you didn't know what anyone was thinking, you know? And mm -hmm. I found out later, of course, that, well, we'll, we'll find out later what happens to um, courage, survival, uh, you're, you, you found out that these bad guys, uh, also had courage. You know, mm -hmm. Jacques protected you and his granddaughter mm -hmm. and Mariah pulled you out of the situation and mm -hmm. got you out of there fast. Uh, so that took courage from both of them to defy Jean-Luc and just, you know, take, take care of business. Well, the other thing too, is not only are you surrounded by evil, 
but you're sensitive to the behaviors of evil. And in the case of Jean-Luc, you had to realize that A, when he walks in the door and he starts cursing, and B, when he flicks out his switchblade, that this is a this is a situation that's not going to get better, it's going to get worse. And so that's being around evil, that you're able to respond to it in a way that enables you to survive the situation, knowing that at some point in the future you may run into him again. You know. So do you think that that taught you to be more aware and to be more ready to get out of that kind of a situation? I can't say that those lessons were learned on that night. I mean, it made me aware. I didn't I didn't have the thoughts about it that I do now. Uh, after five years in the military, war zones, you know, uh, 35 years with the intelligence community, etc. So y- that developed over over time, where you just became, as a matter of your own personal security, more sensitive to your surroundings and more aware, not just of your surroundings, but what was happening in them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm always telling you, first thing, get off the X. Yeah. Well, you have to be very much aware that that the X is headed your way, yeah. right? And then react with it without just sitting there. And um, what were we watching the other night? The, the difference between being alive and dead is movement. It's movement, right. Oh, the Denzel Washington. No. No, was it the, the Washington? World War Z. Oh, that's right. Right. Movement. Move, movimiento. Movement is life. Yeah, yeah. right. And he, and I think he even said it in Spanish. Or yeah. Something, you know, so that's kind of, that's learned. That whole thing is learned mm-hmm. because your body just says, hide in a corner, hide. you yeah. know. I find a safe Freeze place to hide. hide. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and from experience, from the experience that is learned, it was no, get off the X. Yeah. Move, move Flee. until you can't move anymore. Yeah. And pick up weaponry as rapidly as you can. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm a big fan. I tell Shelly all the time, I'm a big fan of picking up the, the weaponry laying on the ground because I watch all these movies where something happens. There's weapons laying around and they leave them there. You know, you wouldn't leave them there. You know. Yeah. Well, like I said, the guy was trying to be quiet. He was right. going to pick yeah. up a machine gun and <laughs> yeah, start blowing things away. Yeah. Uh, next, we have mystery and adventure. This is where we introduced the treasure hunt mm-hmm. elements of the um, the coded directions to the treasure and what the what was in the treasure, mm-hmm. basically the. The booty the, that, that they had uh, uh, garnered by holding up banks and stagecoaches and trains and civilians or what, however they but did. But it had it. been so long ago that yeah. you wouldn't have been able to return it to the original owners. Right, exactly. Had you been able to find it, that's yeah. true. Yeah. So uh, this was not true. This was an added yeah. um, element because we wanted to create a treasure hunt with this book. <laughs> so I'll just want to say that right out loud. And that uh, somebody has already found the treasure that we hid. So don't go looking for it. It's not there anymore. But you, if you want to work on figuring out, you know, through the clues in the book, where we hid the treasure, you know, we'll be happy to confirm that with you. <laughs> uh, if you want to say, you know, I think the treasure was hidden in such and such place. We can say yes or no. And you can start in the back of the book because the poem that was written in archaic French is in the back of the the book that tells you where the treasure is. And it's it's accurately represented because the person 
that found our treasure went through the process of um, translating it, decoding it, and finding the treasure. And we thought we did a darn good job of hiding it, honestly. Yeah. Um, but it's but important. we wanted it to be found. Yeah. Too. So yeah. there's a difference between hiding it to where you don't want it to be found right. and then hiding it to where you do. Yeah. Yeah. And um, uh, it's important, as Shelley said, to let you guys know that uh, that the treasure hunt part of this, the poem, the paper, the package, uh, none of that occurred. The other stuff occurred. Uh, but it was independent of whether or not we had a treasure hunt. And that's actually that and the the last chapter is the only time it's mentioned. Mm -hmm. And then we added a we added a section where the uh, we printed the poem out. So Jean-Luc really did come after Toby mm -hmm. Miguel with a switchblade. Mm -hmm. Mariah did really pull him out the window and they really did go into the And he really did River. stab uh Jacques. And he really did stab Jacques, the grandfather. Yeah. So yeah, uh, these are these are exciting and and you know full of tension and and but I wanted you to know what was real and what's not because mm -hmm. I, I like people to know the truth. <laughs> like in that case, yeah. In yeah. this case, I mean, we weren't in we weren't intentionally writing um, uh, nonfiction, right? Right. This this was we we promised ourselves we would stay as true to the facts as we could uh, in light of that it happened you know decades ago. And some of the names we did change. Yeah, we did course. change the names to protect yeah. everybody. The Christian brothers all have unless fake we names knew they and, were going to be you know long gone. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so we were writing uh, what I'd call semi-fiction. I guess is the best way to describe it. Because yeah, embellished facts. Right. For the most yeah, part, except it, it for was, this part about the treasure hunt, which we added in. And it was fun having uh, Kevin along for the ride to and from Louisiana because we wrote a significant part of this book on that travel. And I was dictating it and Shelly was typing it. And um, you'd hear, I'd say something and you'd hear Kevin fooling around with his iPad in the back. And he said, nope, can't do that. Why can't I do that? So there's no, there were no, that on that date, there were no trains leaving New Orleans in the morning or something like that. He always said he always could tell you exactly why I couldn't uh, why I couldn't do it again. I'm working on fact checker decades old memories, but he was a great fact checker. It's a lot of fun having yeah. him. We had a great time on that trip. Yeah, we also have tension and fear um, because of the confrontation with Jean Luc. In fact, it was so good that um, I included that. Uh, in the back of the book and in the uh, description on uh, the Amazon page, uh, Jean-Luc hurls angry French curses as he thrusts his menacing switchblade at my chest. His last words, the only ones I understand, hiss through his clenched teeth. Little piggy, I'm going to stick you. That was probably the most uh, terror-filled moment in the book. So mm -hmm. that's why I chose to put that, you know, in there to capture people's attention and uh, their imagination so that they would want to read more. And that's the closest I could remember to what he actually said. It was accented, but it, it sounded pretty much like I'm going to stick you, you little piggy, something like that. <laughs> something to the effect of. Something to, something, <laughs> yeah, so what's your name? Cassidy Hutchison says yeah. something to the effect of little piggy, I'm going to stick you yeah, something like with that, that long switchblade knife. 
Um, escape and freedom, the escape through the open window and the subsequent fall into the Mississippi River symbolize liberation and freedom from immediate danger. The, uh, this event emphasizes the character's desire to break free from the clutches of their pursuer. Well, it's it's uh, the comparison is interesting because it's the context, right? If you had been standing at a window above the Mississippi and somebody came and pushed you so that you fell through the window onto a shingled roof before and then rolled off into the Mississippi, that would have been a terrible situation. You know, you'd think of your putting yourself, your life would suddenly be at risk. And worse, you don't know who pushed you, right? Well, what made this different is the choice was agreeing to jump through that window with this woman or waiting for the little piggy to get stuck. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, it's not just context, it's comparison. Like, what's worse? Right. Jumping into the, and you don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's night. Um, the, the only thing I, and I think we said that in, in an earlier chapter about the only thing I remember about the Mississippi is that it's filled with these dangerous eddies and undertoes that could suck you under without even blinking an eye, you know, and here we go. On. Well, she's going, I'm going yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of a thing, huh? Uh, resilience and determination. Miguel's questioning of the truth when he asked, is this, is this true? Mm -hmm. Before he got too involved with the whole treasure get too excited about this treasure. Is this really true? How do you know it's true? Mm -hmm. um, Cause you're taking, you're, you're taking the, the word, word of a of, criminal. Of a bunch <laughs> of like criminals. Criminal. Like a, you're like a criminal. <laughs> uh, so yeah. And then uh, subsequent involvement in the escape demonstrates resilience and determination in the face of disbelief and danger. And his also showcases his willingness to take action and protect himself and Mariah. Mm -hmm. So I think um, this is a, this is like the most exciting and treacherous part of the book. And a lot of people didn't believe that it was true. They thought we'd made the whole thing mm -hmm. up. No, we had uh, to keep explaining. No, that. Yeah. And, and some of the things that happen in the next couple of chapters, they, they're like, nah, I don't think so. But we're like, that actually happened. This part with the treasure hunt's not not yeah, true. that was that the was piece added. that was not true. Yeah, but the rest of it was real. <laughs> so, um, what do you think? Over the years, you told this story many times. What do you think uh, was the lesson here? So the there's two kinds of lessons. One is the immediate, like this is actually interesting because it was it's removing. Um, from the forefront of my mind, all the problems that I thought I had, right? My father's gone. I have a terrible relationship with my mother. I'm stuck in a boarding school that I don't want to be, although I, I, don't, I don't want to say that I didn't want to be there, but I didn't want to be a boarding student, you know? So this was, so the the momentary part of the the one that's part of the story took all of that away. Like you're in a completely different world where whether or not your father's alive, whether or not your relationship with your mother is good, or whether or not you like boarding school is totally irrelevant, you know? So I think that was part of the lesson was like, oh, there are other things in life that could make you easily forget. Yeah. And maybe this life is the right way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this could. Uh, and then after that, in the greater context of my life, it was like, 
what that wasn't so bad and i survived it right and mm -hmm. i still have the eight lives that i've been guaranteed by the <laughs> gypsy i don't count jumping into the mississippi river as a life-threatening because honestly i survived it yeah. you know there was a lot of spitting up of you muddy water but yeah yeah exactly you didn't have to go to the hospital eh? <laughs> right um so uh and and uh, well you'll have to wait till the next chapter so we can explain that but um, but in the greater context, in the lifelong context, it was like, that's a story. You know, you, you walked away with that. You walked away. A, you walked away short term. Mm. Uh, B, everything that you have back at home that was driving you nuts is irrelevant in comparison. And uh, C, well, you know, if you can walk away from it, then it's, you know, fun mm -hmm. uh, you know we're always talking about tragedy plus time equals uh, comedy maybe there's a a corollary to that and it is danger plus survival plus time gives you the courage to try it again mm -hmm. you know like oh okay well i got that one why not try it again danger so, plus courage plus survival equals adventure yeah yeah exactly yeah. So you got to have the adventure that you wanted to have uh, when you left the Yeah, and there, for me, you know, on the headed out was the road adventure. Yeah. Just driving across three states basically was supposed to be and showing up at Mardi Mardi Gras was the excuse. Mardi Gras was an excuse, right? Mm -hmm. The adventure was let me run away from boarding school and steal a motorcycle and head out there, you know. <laughs> I don't know why the Texas accent. And develop accent, a totally. southern accent. Southern accent. Uh, <laughs> and uh, let me do that. So that was supposed to be the adventure. And suddenly the adventure is compressed down to the one night, late night. By this time, Mardi Gras, they're cleaning up downtown, right? And late night, the party goes on. There was no, There's no hours in uh, in Algiers. There's no, nobody comes in and says, time to close down, boys. Nobody does that. Mm. Um, maybe they do now. Uh, I think it's a lot more civilized than it used to be. Yeah. Um, so everything, the, the adventure started the moment she walked him through those doors of Latrage. The real adventure started the moment she walked him in through that, the doors of Latrage into a world he had no experience whatsoever with. None. There was nothing in his life that he had experienced prior to walking through that door that would give him a sense of, oh, I should be okay. Yep. His first reaction to walking through those doors is, this is not going to be good, you know. Yeah. So that's where the adventure starts. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sure at some point Indiana Jones walks, Indiana Jones in one of the movies walks into some place and goes, uh, this is not going to be good. Yeah. But well, he doesn't turn around and walk through, back through the door, which right. is the important part of that is, uh, okay, have a nice night tomorrow. <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go look for my motorcycle yeah. kind of thing. Well, it made me laugh because I think, you know, this is where the dangerous part of the adventure starts. Mm -hmm. And it just reminded me of, uh, I left the house today to go to the CVS and forgot to take my phone with me. And it was like, What? Oh, God, no, I don't have my phone. What am I going to do? I have to check in. I don't have my code. I don't have my phone. I can't call somebody. What am I going to do? It's so funny how we uh, <laughs> feel that's like little that's, things in life. that's yeah. like some big danger there is yeah. not having your phone with you. <laughs> yeah. 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 When I've forgotten my phone and it's too late to come back for it, 
the first thing I do when I arrive at wherever I'm at is, are there other devices that I could use right. to reconnect to the world? <laughs> because I'm, funny? I'm not connected to the world right now. You know, so who funny. anything could happen. Yeah. This is when I'm going to get stabbed with a, with a, you know, when yeah. I don't have my phone, because if, if you stab me with the, when I go, I can call, you know. <laughs> or I can protect myself with the protect- phone. Yeah. And I can film you. <laughs> like. You sure you want to stab me? Because I'm recording all of this. That's right. Our phone is our lifeline nowadays. Mm -hmm. It's funny that, uh, you know, you want to go on a dangerous adventure? Okay. Leave home without your phone. phone down. Leave the house. Ah! (laughs) Let's see how brave you really are. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty funny. So, um, It was funny. What was funnier is she got back from, she went to to the CBS to get some shots and she walked back through the door. And my first question to her was, how did it go at meaning? How did the shots go? And her response was, I forgot my phone. That, that was literally top of the, mind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. whole time I was gone, top of mind. Oh I my God, my phone. where's my phone? Uh, it's just funny. Cause you know, it's like, I can still function without it. Mm-hmm. I still went to the store and bought things with my card and debit card and everything, you know, everything was fine. And I don't know why it's such a, such a fear and worry and anxiety no, come, now you know, pops up when you so don't have your phone right there. You just created a vision of me going to Walmart without my phone and my Alexa shopping list and just wandering around for hours. Like, <laughs> don't have your list. What? What? Don't I- you're five minutes away. You just come home. And yeah. get it. <laughs> but yeah, it's true. It's funny. But uh, that's 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 where we're at right now. And, and the other thing, too, is if you look at it, not only in terms of uh, interactive communications, but the tools that are available on it. I mean, I've, you know, I, I've gone places where I've forgotten my phone and then I couldn't use a drone. Mm. I couldn't I couldn't take pictures. Mm-hmm. I couldn't, you know, there's so mm-hmm. many other things that we rely upon it well, for. Yeah, you know, and be careful about that stuff because I was talking to Mike on the phone the other day. Mm-hmm. He was telling me a story about a woman who lost her phone and it had everything. She couldn't start a car. She couldn't open her car. She couldn't get into her house. Because, because she had all those she apps. didn't have her phone. Everything was run by the phone. I'm like, you got to have some low-tech backups. You right. Know? You can't just... Set a key somewhere under a because rock. Because she couldn't... She had to wait for her husband to fly into town and then take, you know, transportation to go get him so that she had access to get into her house and her car. <laughs> I was well, like, how could you do that to yourself? Not only that, but then the minute you lose it, like my my reaction to, uh, not that I've lost the phone, but my reaction would be, how good was my ability to prevent somebody from cracking into that phone? Mm. Because if they break into that phone... They get your car, they get your house. They have everything. They have your whole life. Yeah. yeah. They have everything. Yeah. Payment methods, everything. And, well, payment methods, including an Apple card that's on the phone that all yeah. you have to do is... Right. So. Yeah. Everything. That's why I don't put payment methods on my phone. <laughs> I worry about that. Uh, oh, figure if I'm going somewhere to buy something, I'm going to have my purse with me. I've not that I was <laughs> ever re- I, not that I was ever responsible for it, but I have sat in rooms with people who are responsible for breaking into a phone mm-hmm. and getting not only 
accessing all the material that's on there, but then able to interpret what's on there in order to use that material, you know? Yeah. I, and I've watched him do it. And I, I used to think to myself, God, I better not ever let my phone get, you know, mm-hmm. that wasn't my area of specialty, mm-hmm. but I've watched it. Yeah. Yeah. Your life is in there. You got to be careful. Yeah. That's funny. And that was back in, you know, 2009, 2010. Yeah. So you can imagine what it's like now. Well, it's like now. It's crazy. You have your whole life in there. I think I'm going to glue my phone to, glue my, your phone to, your to my body, body someplace. <laughs> but then you can't shower with it. <laughs> shower, buddy. Um, so I think another adventure that uh, we're excited about is moving to South Carolina and being with family. And I think we've really cemented that in this this. This week, I think it's just like, yeah, this is the right thing to do. We're going and everything's going to be great. Well, I don't like talking about things before they're safe to talk about. But today we just got another literal raison d'etre. Another confirmation of this is a really good idea. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, That, that you you know, you get signals from the universe universe saying, you know, this thing that you guys have been thinking about and Toby, you're kind of nervous about. Guess what? I'm gonna give you another reason to feel easier about it. So yeah, to to so we'll tell you more about that. Out on if you don't go, we'll tell you more about that when uh, when we can. We're not ready to talk yeah. about that just yet. Yeah, so we're pretty excited about our. We're having an upcoming trip to check it out to uh, visit, and you know, I think um, once my house sells, we'll be really raring to go. So if you need a house. <laughs> in Rio Rancho, New Mexico. Check it out. You know, uh, as long as we're on the subject, and while, while I'm thinking about it, because I'll forget it later, uh, when I was in the shower, I was thinking to myself, you know, we have two options here. Mm-hmm. One option is to be picky about what we're taking with us and hire a mover and all that. Mm-hmm. I'm at the stage where we just say sell everything Ooh. and go with uh, my truck and a trailer of the stuff, you know, mm-hmm. towels and sheets mm-hmm. kind of thing, dishes. But just let everything else go. Works for me. I've already let everything of mine go, so I'm <laughs> good. How how adventurous are we? Not only did I leave my phone behind today when I when we went out, but Toby's talking about selling everything before we move. That's we were going to sell exciting. some stuff, but in the shower, I think myself, we'll keep our computers. Though. Yeah, we got to keep the computers. Really there's like there's things, and they're pretty new. There there's things that we could say like. I don't want to buy another printer. I don't want to buy another computer. I don't think I need three monitors, right? That kind of thing. These tables, this, these are going to be a pain to move. They're oh, yeah, heavy. And, absolutely. You know. But computers aren't that bad to, to put in the tr- back of the truck. And, yeah. 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 So it's not like I can fit them all in the back of my pickup, but my pickup will tow a trailer. Yeah. And we could get, I think, it, the kind of the deal is going to be if whatever fits in the trailer goes. <laughs> if it doesn't fit, stays. We're having an adventure, I tell you. This is a big adventure for people our age. <laughs> yeah, because it's like it's almost like starting over again. Like, yeah. Remember when when you when you moved someplace and bought your first house, you know? Uh it's like that, except we're let's see, a combined age, what are we, 135? <laughs> Yeah, I just had my birthday this week. Sally's birthday was uh, yesterday, yeah. her 60th birthday. Isn't that good? 60. 60 is a great age. All right, everybody. I think that's uh, all we have for 
our stories for today. Um, I hope that uh, you're enjoying A Gypsy's Kiss, A Treasure Hunt Adventure. If you'd like to get your own copy, make sure you check it out on Amazon. Um, if you want to read the Kindle version and you have their Kindle Unlimited, you can read it for free. Or you can uh, get the digital copy or you can get the paper copy and put it up on your shelf. What else? Uh, also, we have a blog that we put out every week where we take what we've talked about during the show uh, and turn it into a blog post and really dive a little bit more deeper into each of the concepts, each of the themes and the emotions and some of the things that we talked about during the show. So if you prefer to read rather than watch a video, if you want both, uh, make sure you check out our blog at blog.agkmedia.studio. Sounds like fun. Yeah. And Shelly writes really, really well. So I, I, I like writing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's all we have That's for we this week. Make sure you check back in with us next week to see what happens after Miguel and Mariah land in the Mississippi River. So I should mention that when we opened StreamYard today, they finally added the ability to put video backgrounds Oh yeah. Um, on the green screen. So that means we can have motion behind us. I've gotten kind of used Maybe to my... we'll have the Mississippi River behind us <laughs> <laughs> next time. <laughs> so we had, uh, in our World Sand Project, we had a beach with... Uh, and you loop it, right? It's a loop. So we had a beach with waves coming in on the beach. It was kind of neat. Yeah. All right. Say bye-bye. Thanks for being with us today. And we'll see you again next time. Thanks for listening to Our Story, Your Story. We hope you enjoyed hearing our stories and those of our guests. We invite you to share your own stories with us by emailing us at stories at agkmedia.studio. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. Until next time, keep telling your story because your story matters.